0: In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed." You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. As we read through this chapter, it may have generated several questions for you, definitions of terms, or what does Paul mean when he said certain phrases. And unfortunately, I won't be able to answer to everyone's satisfaction all the questions that might have come up. Remember, this podcast is planting seeds, so hopefully it'll encourage you to study more on your own. But I do want to kind of make sure that we remember the context here. Chapter 6 is not a separate discussion from chapter 5. It's a continuation of it. In chapter 5, Paul had dealt with a sexually immoral man that was in the assembly of Christians in Corinth, maybe even being protected by them so that he wouldn't have to suffer any legal consequences. And it seems the sin that this man was guilty of was also a crime. And maybe someone had taken him to court as a result of that. And Paul is telling these folks that they should have already been able to settle this without it going to court. Two people in the same church shouldn't have to sue one another to get justice. This is something that ought to be worked out among the body of believers. Paul lets them know that he finds it a little ironic that they weren't willing to take direction from him, but they were willing to seek the advice of pagans in a court about how they should settle their disputes seems that the Christians in Corinth may have been doing something that we're guilty of sometimes, separating our spiritual lives from our secular lives. They may have thought that they should go to Paul for spiritual advice, but when it dealt with other kinds of disputes, that's what courts were for. But here in chapter 6, what Paul is trying to communicate to his readers is that there is not a spiritual and secular for people who are members of the kingdom of God. And in this chapter, Paul reminds his readers that the physical things we do have spiritual significance. And so he begins this chapter by continuing the discussion about spiritual wisdom, being able to make spiritual judgments. Because they weren't as smart and as wise as they thought they were, they were having to defer to other people to settle disputes, which was not bad in and of itself, but the people they were going to. We're part of a pagan society and may not always give good godly advice. Paul lets us know here that churches should be a place where the spiritually wise help those who are struggling to make decisions and settle disputes. And if they are truly wise, they should be trusted more than secular courts. If your dispute is with someone in the secular world, it may need to be resolved in a secular court. But two people who call themselves brothers or sisters in Christ ought to be able to resolve their disputes without going to court. Paul said it would be better to suffer being wronged or defrauded than to air the church's dirty laundry in a civil court. Now, unfortunately, there are far too many stories of churches who don't exercise spiritual wisdom and use the power and authority that they feel like they have to Cover up wrongdoing, giving in to someone who is wrong, maybe even especially if they are in the power structure of the church, may have to be resolved in a court as well because those folks are not exercising spiritual wisdom. But when a church is functioning the way it ought to, these things ought to be able to be resolved in-house. And it feels like in this chapter that he switches gears in verse 9 and starts talking about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you remember back to chapter 5, Paul listed sins that were grounds for being expelled from the assembly. In this chapter, he lists most of the same sins and adds a couple more and says those people who continue to practice those can miss out on their inheritance in the kingdom. So he's still making the same point that started in chapter 5. There's an immoral brother in the assembly. Instead of protecting him, you should turn him over and let him experience the consequences. And perhaps that will change his attitude, change his mind. He'll repent and get back on the right path and may save his soul in the day of judgment. So as chapter 6 is beginning, he's saying, and so you shouldn't even have to go to a court of law to figure this out. You ought to be able to figure it out yourselves because the body of Christ and your individual bodies have no business being tied together in sexual immorality. And because sexual immorality can be so destructive, churches and individuals should be running from it, not tolerating it. And that gets us to some touchy language, especially in our society now, where Paul mentions sexual immorality, prostitution, and even homosexuality. The translators of the English Standard Version, the version that I read from, chose the word homosexuality there in verse 9. Different translations have used different words trying to capture the essence of what's being said there. In the Greek, that word that's translated homosexuality is actually two words. One means to be soft or effeminate, and the other means to have physical relations with a man. A lot of the current discussions, even in churches in our country, center around exactly what Paul means by using the words that he uses here. These words could be used to describe someone who has young male servants and is taking advantage of them. But it seems most often in early Greek writings, these terms were used to describe male prostitutes, but could be used to describe any male who was the passive partner in a physical relationship. And so 2,000 years later, we're left to struggle with the idioms of the day versus the technical definition of the words and what did Paul intend. And many have come to a conclusion about what they think Paul was getting at here. But as a side note, I'd like to make it clear that alongside Paul's mention of sexual morality, prostitution, and homosexuality, he also mentions thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers. These people are included as well. And Those may be sins that we don't think are as bad as the others. But they're things that can also, according to Paul, keep us from our inheritance in the kingdom of God. I make that point because Paul is not giving us permission to be unchristian toward people who may be practicing these sins. Any person, no matter what sin they're committing, is still a person. They bear the image of God, and God has told us to love those people. And their sin is not worse than our sin. It does not mean we can never discuss with them things that are sinful or not sinful. It does not mean that we can't call sin, sin. But it does mean until they've been introduced to Jesus and accept that he is king of the universe and that they should pledge allegiance to him, the things that Jesus asked from them won't mean very much to them. So there is still a Christian response to people who are caught up in sin. And Paul had said in the previous chapter that those who are outside the church, those who have not made the same commitment you have to Christ, you have absolutely no authority to give a judgment or pass a judgment on them. He's still talking about things that have to be worked out within the church. He is saying that those folks may not be the best for making judgments for you. Therefore, things need to be handled within the church when they can't. And he reminded them that some of them had been practitioners of these very sins, but they had been washed. They had been sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That had been done by the Spirit of God. When Paul continues in verse 12, he actually seems to be quoting a line that was popular among philosophers of the day, that all things were lawful to the wise. While the Corinthians should be wise and thought they were wise, they lacked that spiritual wisdom. But Paul quotes, all things are lawful for me, but he adds, not everything's helpful. All things are lawful for me, but he said he refused to be dominated by anything. The reality is for the wise, everything is lawful. There is no need to make a law against anything for people who are wise because they will avoid things that, destroy them, that hurt them, that destroy community. Wisdom dictates what's good for everyone is good for me, and growth is better than destruction. But because we're selfish and can be foolish sometimes, we have to make rules. We have to make laws that keep us from inflicting our stupidity on others. Paul says everything we can do is not good to do. Everything that we can do can consume us if we let it control us. And so he tells us there's food that goes into our stomach and our stomachs need the food, but both of those come to the same end. For those who've committed their life to Christ, their bodies are meant for much more than just fulfilling physical desire. They're meant to be vessels for doing the Lord's work. And that vessel doesn't need to be contaminated with sins that can destroy it. But Paul especially singles out sexual immorality because other sins happen outside the body. But sexual sin is one that takes two bodies and makes them one. The sin actually becomes part of a body. It's inside the body. And that is the place where the Spirit of God is supposed to dwell within us. We should see our bodies as so sacred, so holy, that we would never want to contaminate it or dirty it in any way. Because we understand that God intends to use that body for his purposes. And when our time here is done, he has promised to raise that body to new life for eternity. So again, taking chapters 5 and 6 together, Paul says, there's a guy among you that has been sexually immoral. That has no place in the body of Christ. You should expel him from your assembly. And it shouldn't have to go to court. Court shouldn't have even been involved. You guys should have settled this a long time ago. You can't pass judgment on the folks outside of the assembly, but you shouldn't rely on those folks to make judgments for you. We have to make our judgments based on the spiritual maturity afforded us by Christ, the direction, the guidance that comes to us by the Spirit, and any sin that affects the body individually and collectively needs to be avoided at all cost. Paul says you've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Yeah. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, clearerchurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.